The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 7200 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. You ever wake up in the morning and wonder, how do I grow my company faster? You ever ask, how do we harness that growth? And then finally, how do we keep that growth going? We all ask those questions. That's a a critical question in any business. But to answer that question for us today, Daryl Amy. Daryl, how are you? I'm fantastic, Joel. How's it going? Hey, good, man. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you join us. Yeah, it's great to be here. This is going to be a fun conversation. We are going to have some fun because we're talking about something that's fun, and that is uh, bringing money to the bottom line, right? Bring that's it. right. Yep. So, so tell us, what's the number one trick to make money move faster? Well, I think when it comes to growth and right now, you know, if you think of companies where we are right now, you're probably in one of two places. You're either trying to recover and you got to accelerate out of a ditch, or maybe you've been in the, in the side of this business where things have scaled way faster than you expected and you've been handed a boatload of opportunity. Either way, as we grow, what I've found when it comes to actually setting growth goals, companies uh, do better and get more accurate in, in setting goals when they go one level deeper than the total number. And here's what I mean. If, if you boil it all down, this is how I think about it, Joel. I'm curious what you think. But if you boil it all down to its like most basic level, there's really only two ways to grow revenue. And in the power of this, it comes into the goal setting and actually how you structure your company. Number one is obviously net new. We get new logos. We get new business. That's the lifeblood of any organization. The other way to grow revenue is obvious as well is that we cross-sell more to our current clients. Now, bring this up for two reasons. First of all, I've discovered that most companies are usually really good at one or the other. You know, you're either really good at net new, you get a hard charging sales organization, you can go out and grab new business, or you're good at taking care of your clients, cross-selling more to your current clients. What I noticed was if you can get modest growth in each one of those areas, let's say 10% year over year in net new. So if you have a thousand clients right now, if you can go to 1100, and if you can go 10% year over year in cross sell in your revenue per client, 
when you add that up over three years, you can double the revenue of your business organically. And so this goes down to setting goals in revenue. And this is a struggle for a lot of people right now because the, you know, the apple cart got overturned. How do we set revenue goals going forward? We can't really put a ruler on the last three years and project out because the ruler is pointing the wrong way now. But what we can do is we can say, okay, how many clients, how many customers do we have right now? And what type of growth do you think we could, we could reasonably drive in the number of clients? And then we could also look at our revenue per client and go, if we got strategic and put processes in place to take care of our clients better and to cross-sell, what do you think we could do in terms of moving the needle in terms of revenue per client? You take those two numbers, add them up, you know, number of clients times revenue per client, add all that up, and now you've got a growth goal that's based on some actual numbers, your client growth and your revenue per client. And right now, I think as companies are looking past through the crisis and past the crisis and trying to figure out how to set goals going forward, that is one of the ways you can get your arms around the growth of your company. So, you know, what's the insider trick on this? The insider trick is don't just think about the the big number. Think about those two drivers. How many clients do you have and what's your revenue per client? What I like about it is that it's a formula that people can follow. <laughs> That's right. So in other words, get your client, go deep with them. You know, so first you yep. got a client, you're, you know, and, and you get this multiplier effect. And I, I like that. So you can grow the rate of your company uh, pretty fast if you're focused on those two things. Is it the same team of people who get your new people as who drive more business from your existing people? Yeah, that's a great question. And it depends on the organization. So I think, you know, behind all of this is processes. You know, if you boil business down to its most basic level, I think you really have people and processes or for my Canadian friends, processes. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Canadian kid that married a Southern girl. So go figure that accent out. But nonetheless, you know, if you look at a business, just zoom out and look at the entire business, you're going to find people and processes. The thing about that is, if you go, you know, most areas of a business, let's talk about process. You go in the accounting finance department, there's processes for billing, collections. You go in the HR department, processes for hiring, onboarding, firing, shipping, receiving as processes. Go into a sales department. <laughs> what do you find? Most sales teams, it's like, I just got back from uh, vacation. We went out to the Grand Tetons in Wyoming. It's like the Wild West, right? There's a tumbleweed blowing through. There's a couple gunslingers. Uh, leaning up against a building, flipping a coin. And sales, you know, the process is, hey, just go out and sell something. Go make some more calls. Marketing's not much different. And, uh, you know, I've, as, as uh, we were talking about before the show, I've, I'm a recovering sales rep, 27 years in the B2B sales space. I am down to therapy twice a week, so it's going pretty well. But also been very involved in marketing, digital marketing in particular for the last 17 years. And marketing's no different than sales. A lot of it, a lot of marketing is obsessed with the latest shiny objects and gadgets. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of cool gadgets in the marketing world right now, but where is the process? And so, you know, to answer your question, does the same salesperson onboard, you know, go get net new and then farm or nurture those client relationships? The, the answer to that is it really depends on the organization. It depends on the size of your organization. It depends on the types of clients that you have. Um, we've had lots of great conversations on the Revenue Growth Podcast about this. You know, some organizations, they segment the entire 
process. You've got sales development reps that you know generate the leads. Then you've got someone to close the deal and you've got client success reps. And some of them even have onboarding reps before client success reps. So is that efficient? Maybe the, does the client get bounced around like a ping pong ball? Eh, I don't know. You know, my, my sense is that the very biggest companies have these incredible processes. Everything is process-driven. Things are salespeople sell by script. The little teeniest, scrappiest companies, no scripts. Then maybe that's why they're scrappy because there's no script, no scrap. To me, our middle-sized companies are somewhere in the middle is that I think you have to give a framework to the salespeople and they have to, you know, do their thing. I don't think personally that somebody who is selling, good at selling a new account is the same person who's good at going deep with an existing account. Banking is the best example Mm -hmm. is they have these business developers, which go get new clients. And then they have account managers, which uh, basically try to get more share of wallet from the same guy. Now, uh, their model is perfect. Their implementation is frequently terrible, right? Yeah, because they'll they'll mix the people back and forth, mm-hmm. and they don't they don't see any difference between the people. To me, uh, one personality is good at one thing. One personality is good at another thing. Even administrative people can do the account management and go deep thing mm-hmm. uh, to some extent. Mm-hmm. It takes a certain selling personality to. Uh, develop new business in general. This is my bias, but it's it's kind of the way I see the. World. I agree. By the way, yeah, and and I came I came out of a hard charging, uh, intense sales culture. I mean, my my first job straight out of college was selling office equipment, and it was you know go out and you know you, <laughs> you laugh like right. What's that? Like copies? Oh yeah, like absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty hardcore. Oh, it was it was brutal, right? Just like competitive and and cutthroat and kept a a foot in that industry over the last 27 years. And so there's no, but here's what I noticed. So to your point, you know, can that hunter, and we were hardcore hunters, right? I mean, we got trained, we knew how to handle objections. We knew how to close business. We knew that if we walked out without an order, we weren't getting an order. So we got an order, right? We figured out how to get it done. And so there's an example of an industry that historically was really, really good at net new business terrible at after the sale, terrible at managing client relationships. And so what do you do? What do you do? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because if you think about an industry like that, where they sell technology to offices, obviously, a you know, a device like a printer or a copier is only one piece of many pieces of technology that that company could sell. But for the most part, since they were hunters, all they did was sell that one piece of technology. So how do you solve that problem? The way that industry typically tried to solve the problem is they would uh, badger, beat, beg, coerce, shame, do anything to this, the hunter salespeople to say, go talk to them about these other things that we sell. Um, and it just didn't work. What, what needed to be there were processes. So, you know, for example, and those, those processes are a combination of marketing and sales processes. Um, so, Think about a process. I mean, that, you know, if your company is great at landing new deals, if you're great at, you know, slamming the deal, what's the process then after the order? So what, for example, what is the onboarding process like? And is that process consistent and strategic? Is it something that's repeatable? And does that onboarding process, um, if you have one, does that onboarding process begin to set the stage for the cross-sell? Um, then once they are a client, what's the process to continue that relationship? Because most companies that are great at net new, the only time they talk to their clients 
are uh, when, you know, when it's time to renew. But with ideal clients, with best fit clients that have potential, um, you know, do you have a periodic business review process? Do you go back on a regular basis with your ideal clients and review? Whether that's done by the sales rep that slammed the deal or whether that's done by a client success rep, um, what is the process to engage with that client? And so, you know, the, if you go into most, and there's just two examples right there of core processes that are absent in most companies that are great at net new and not great at cross-selling. So, you know, an onboarding process, uh, a periodic business review process, two core sales processes that can be put in place and executed to begin to set the stage for cross-sell. Um, and I saw a Bain and company study just yesterday. I was writing an article and it was very interesting. I mean, client loyalty, they were saying a 5% increase in client loyalty, which by the way, why do people, why aren't they loyal? You never write, you never call, right? <laughs> you just, you know, so 5% increase in client loyalty, depending on your industry will deliver between a 25 and 95% uh, increase in profitability for that 5% investment. Tell me what exactly is 5% of something like customer loyalty? Is that like, <laughs> It goes from like horrible to a little bit, teeny bit less than horrible. I mean, what, what does 5% mean? What does it mean? Well, I mean, I mean, either you like it or you don't, you're either loyal or you're not. I mean, isn't that kind of a yes or a no? Well, so if it's a yes and no, or if it's shades of gray or whatever color you want, um, the question is, how do you get it closer to a yes? And so if, if you're a net new company, you're, you're great at net new, but you're not great at cross-sell, and you don't have an onboarding process, you don't have a periodic business review process, you don't have a client loyalty program on the marketing side, you don't have a client communication process. It was very interesting. One of my favorite books right now, and I have, I'm only halfway through it because it's thick, first of all. And second of all, there's so much in it. It's called The Experience Economy. It's by Joseph Pine and James Gilmore. They were Harvard Business School guys, and they wrote an article in the late 90s that said, Welcome to the Experience Economy. Basically, what they were saying was, look, products commoditized, right? The next wave after products was services. And services are kind of commoditized as well. At least we expect great service. So where do we go to the next level of differentiation and client loyalty? What they say is that we're in an experience economy now, that the better the experience we can create, not only the more value we add or perceived value we add, the more client loyalty we drive. So if you think about, you know, if, if I love these shows that are on TV right now, you know, we're undercover boss, right? Where they go out and the boss puts on the, the wig and the mustache or whatever. And, you know, they go, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're undercover right. trying to see what the employee experience is like. But it, what if you were undercover boss in your company and you were able to, to be a client and you were able to... Like a mystery shopper. Yeah. Yeah. What if you were the mystery shopper? Like from the time that that client signs the order, sorry, Tom Hopkins approves the details. We were all hardcore trained back in the day by Mr. Tom Hopkins. God bless Tom Hopkins. You know, from the time they approve the paperwork all the way through to um, that life cycle of being a client, what's the experience like? And from a, from a sales and marketing perspective... Um, yeah, I want, you know, client satisfaction. I want good net promoter scores. I want goodwill and all of that. But I also want that experience to be structured in such a way that it, um, it sets the stage for, man, how else can I work with this company? 
And in, you know, when it comes to, to client loyalty or customer retention, whatever, however you want to phrase that, the more ways that, um, what, the, what, uh, what they said in the, the customer experience book, fantastic book, the experience economy book was that, um, every client has to make sacrifices. When you work with a company as a client, you by nature make some sacrifices, but the more engagement, the more touch points along the way, the perceived sacrifice decreases dramatically and, and you begin to experience loyalty. So you think about your organization from a sales standpoint, if, you're, if you've been hard charging, you're good at landing the deals, what can we do after the sale to put processes in place from a sales and marketing standpoint to make that client experience exceptional, um, to make it value add, and to, to set the stage for cross-sell? And so, you know, once again, onboarding process. Do you have one? If not, make one, you know, and think, how can we set the stage? Uh, and we go into this in the Revenue Growth Engine book. The last half of the book is all about sales and marketing processes you can put in place. Um, you know, what's your periodic business review process? Do you have a client loyalty process? Do you have um, a, just even a communication process for your clients? All different ways you can think creatively to not only build client loyalty, but set the stage for the cross-sell conversation. Remember, if I can grow modest amounts in net new and also grow modest amounts in revenue per client, that the math doesn't lie. You can, you can double revenue in, in 36-ish months organically doing that, which is really astounding. Well, you're also, <clears throat> also going to probably reduce defection, you know, clients that leave. But here's the interesting thing, this experience economy, what I, what I like about it, and I'm, I'm not familiar with this, is for retailers, especially, if they don't deliver an experience, you might as well just buy from Amazon. Well, Amazon delivers a great experience. Well, no, Amazon's experience is fantastic. Truthfully, for a company that really selling commodities, because yeah. that's yep. what they're selling, they do a brilliant job. I mean, I love buying on that site. I mean, it's, it's fast, it's easy, it's convenient. It's, uh, it's, just, it's handy. Everything about it is easy. They tell you it's going to be there on Thursday. It's there on Thursday. You know, I don't know, two hours before here, you can see where the truck is. You can see the truck driving around your neighborhood. They have made an amazing experience, right? Amazing. Which we got a lot to learn because it's virtual. Yeah. But retail companies are not really doing as good of a job. Now, I will say some companies are starting to wake up and they're starting to figure out how are we going to do better yeah. at this? Now, so my question, you got all these different processes that have an onboarding process. And I mean, it sounds like you got processes to figure out processes. I mean, I, you know, that, that's a lot of processes. Yeah, you got a process process, right? <laughs> is technology a big driver of succeeding with this? It's like, is AI used in these things, figuring out what client needs what? I mean, because you can't just drip. Okay, on the 40th day, they get a survey. Mm -hmm. On the 50th day, they get a, they get a this. On the 20th day, they get this. On the first day, they get a letter from the president. I mean, is it just like a drip campaign or is it much more sophisticated? So the first thing, what, what's nice about processes, by the way, is once they're in motion, they're like, you can keep them in motion, you know? So you, if you're net new, you are, if you're a great net new company, you have sales processes, whether you've documented them or not, they're in motion and they're working. So pr I like process. They're just part of your company culture, probably. Yeah, they become part of the DNA at some point. Like, you know, while I'm on this podcast, my heart's beating, hopefully. Um, breathing, you know, I'm not thinking about that. Those processes are going on. And that's what 
you bake those into a company, into an organization, it happens. Can technology um, help with that? Is there a technology component to it? No question. Um, and one of the things that is, is bef- after I talk about technology, just remind me, I want to talk about how to simplify this because it can get complicated. But technology is, is very, uh, it's exciting right now, the innovation in the sales and marketing space, uh, marketing automation, sales enablement, that world, uh, it can get overwhelming because there are now well over a thousand uh, providers in that space. And I'm sure three companies launched while we were recording this podcast. However, there are a lot of, you know, the, the, the cool thing about that is there's a lot of innovation around saying, how can we um, streamline and, and automate and, and at least, you know, make some of this stuff more consistent. Um, but here's, a lot of people get overwhelmed when they think about things like this. And here's the simplifier. Um, you know, if you want a uh, if you want a uh, a trick on this whole thing, the inside track to growing your company is this. It's it goes back to a dude that we're all familiar with that lived in the 1800s in Italy. His name was Vilfredo Pareto. Vilfredo came up with a good old what a cool name by the way. Um, Vilfredo came up with the uh, principle of the eighty twenty rule, and so. When we go in an organization, uh, one of the first first questions we ask when we're, we're beginning a revenue growth strategy is actually really simple. Hey, tell me about one of your favorite clients. Everyone go around the room. Tell me about your favorite client. The characteristics are always the same. They value what we do. They uh, you know appreciate it. They respect our advice that we enjoy working with them. They have loyalty. They give us references. They pay their bills on time, et cetera. And then I say, okay, well, you know, these ideal clients that you just told us about, your favorite clients, what if they bought everything that your company sold over the next 10 years? What would they be worth? That's always a fun exercise because it puts everything in perspective because that number is usually really eye-poppingly big. And then I said, okay, well, tell me about your average client the 80%, the bread and butter, the up and down the street client, if they bought, if they were loyal, which most of them aren't, but if they were loyal and bought everything that you sold over the next 10 years, what would they be worth? Put that up beside your, your ideal client and you realize why 20% of your clients drive 80% of your revenue because it's usually at least a 20x difference in revenue potential between the ideal client and the average client. And not only that, the average clients are usually the ones that are as demanding or more demanding um, and don't show loyalty. So what I say is, look, from a um, cross-sell perspective, so just think about your current client base, the very first thing I recommend people do is identify your ideal clients. Identify the people that have the potential to buy everything that you sell and that have the potential to move the revenue needle forward. Those are the people that you focus your biggest efforts on. So if you're going to launch, uh, for example, a periodic business review process, I can't give a quarterly business review to every one of our clients. They wouldn't want it anyways, but our top 20%, oh, absolutely. So I institute that process in my sales team and I manage towards it and we train reps how to do that. Um, Interestingly, just that one simple periodic business review cadence and managing towards that, uh, that right there may do the, the results just from that and the engagement you get with your clients out of that. Um, right there, maybe the one thing, if you did nothing else from this podcast, uh, and, and you implemented a periodic business review process with your top 20% clients, the revenue growth that you would see off that might really, really surprise you. But the same thing goes for prospecting. He was working with a, a client in uh, South Florida. So they have the Miami, uh, you know, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm beach, beautiful areas there. 
South Florida. They have a sales team. Um, you know, they're, they're a, uh, this particular client uh, was about a $10 million revenue company and growing in a great market. And, um, you know, and so I, we started talking about their ideal clients. Then we looked at their market. There were 90,000 businesses in their marketplace that were candidates for their goods and services. They had a sales team of six to eight people. So, you know, do the math on that. Well, then we said, let's look at your ideal client. And we got that 90,000 narrowed down to about 1,500 companies in their marketplace that are just great fit companies. And we're not talking Fortune 100. We're not talking, we're talking just like great fit companies for their profile that could buy everything that they sell and deliver 20X results over their bread and butter clients. And so what that company did is they, in, in, they put, to put a process in place. It's a target account process. It's probably not, you know, simple stuff. The, the principle is to say, look, you can call on anybody in this marketplace, but you 100% absolutely are going to engage with these ideal targets every 90 days. And we'll manage towards that. And if a sales rep says, well, I don't want to call on that account, say, not a problem. I'm giving it to Joel. <laughs> it's his account now. Because... As a business owner and as a leader of a sales team, you know, you look and you go, okay, these are our ideal prospects. They need to know who we are. So we're going to ensure that, yeah, our sales team will take an order from anyone. They can call on anyone they want, but 100%, we are going to have the measurement on that is 100% coverage. We're going to have 100% sales and marketing coverage on those ideal prospects. Yeah. I just love this idea of, of saying, you know, what is your, uh, you're 20% worth and what's your 80% worth? I mean, that is a really smart exercise because that really does kind of on paper put right in front of you, you know, where you should be spending your time and developing these special processes. And I, and I love some of these insights, but it also makes me think that once you kind of have these people identified, then you could think about affiliate programs. You could think so about many different things. Uh, cross selling yeah. with other companies. You can think about referral programs. I mean, because you're your your top twenty people, guaranteed they can refer you to their friends. Listen, a guy in one manufacturing industry knows a lot of other people. And in case you're listening and going, well, what about my bread and butter clients? Which, by the way, I say, if you only focus on bread and butter clients, guess what you're eating for dinner? Bread and butter, right? You know, what exactly do you mean by bread and butter? I'm just talking about that, you know, that one, that, that small client that you're like, oh, but we couldn't live without them. Well, I'm not saying say no to them. I'm just saying the culture inside your organization is we know who our ideal clients are and we got a plan for how to take care of them. And we know who our ideal prospects are and we have a plan for how to reach out to them. That's. I was very surprised one time, you know, I put on conferences a couple of times a year, of course, not right now, but. But, you know, so I'm, I'm at the uh, hotel in Las Vegas and I'm with the sales rep and, and I said, you know, I'm really surprised, you know, you're, you're so nice to me. You know, they give me the gimme stuff, you know, and, and I'm like a small potato, you know I mean? Like I, I have like, uh, you know, some people come there a couple of times a year. It's a small event. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, you got these like multi-thousand people events. I said, you know, why do you give so much attention to me? And I was very surprised. The woman said, are you kidding me? You're you're like the basis of our what you'd call bread and butter. You're the bread and butter of our business. You know, we make the frosting on the cake from those big ones, you know, like, but it's the little guys like you that we count on every single day that makes it happen. You know, these big ones, they're competing for those big ones. Maybe the margins are skinnier. But you know, with little guys like me, that I was very surprised that that a giant hotel would look at it that way. I look at it that way with my customers, but I don't 
necessarily think that other people do. And so it was quite fascinating to see that. that well, it's, it's interesting when you could dissect that from so many different angles. You are, you are a, uh, you know, professional speaker and business traveler and you're, you are a frequent, uh, traveler and guest, you know, however, I guarantee you the person that is responsible for booking the 3000 person conference that's at that hotel that week, <laughs> they got treated a little bit nicer than you did. <laughs> you know, I mean, so don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying take terrible care of your, your 80%, but I'm saying first, make sure that you've got processes in place to cover the uh, ideal prospects and to manage your ideal clients. And the, the reality is that I find in most companies, Joel, is no one's even asked that question. Like, who are our ideal clients? I'm, you know, I, I, I say I'm a frequent flyer. I used to be a frequent flyer. I'm a frequent Zoom meeting attender now, like all of us. But, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a frequent flyer on American Airlines. So, you know, because of that, they know I'm worth a, you know, chunk of money every year to them. And, you know, probably like you, you get the front of the line and you get the free bags and, you know, sometimes you get to sit in the front of the plane and there's, there's perks. They know, you know, as opposed to, it's not that they're going to treat, um, you know, a uh, once a year vacation person terrible, <laughs> they might, but, um, you know, that, that they know that, that creating the, the priority is, is first to create the amazing experience for the ideal client, um, that they have. And, um, I think, Businesses, uh, if you want to grow your business, you know, you can, the fastest way to accelerate growth is to, to uh, look for and make sure your ideal clients in your market know who you are, that they know the value of working with you. And here's the deal. If you don't do that, your sales reps aren't calling on them. They're not. I mean, that market I gave you of 90,000 people with 1,500 ideal clients, how many of those ideal clients do you think were getting called on by those sales reps? Sales reps are going after low-hanging fruit and, you know, not bringing in the big deals. They want to take the shortcut, the easy route, whatever it is. And, and look, that's the inside that's right. track is that, you know, you got to have the processes, you got to call on the people. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no shortcut here, but there is a smarter way to do it, especially as the world uh, has morphed into some other stuff. So the best, smartest, and fastest way to make this happen is some of the old school principles, but also to use some of the current technologies that's to make right. this thing happen. So. Hey, listen, Daryl, I, I thank you very much for being on our show. I really, I appreciate it. Uh, we'll have your contact you. information and any links that you want to put in the show notes and we'll make it happen. Yeah, that's right? great. And we go into all these topics in detail in uh, Revenue Growth Engine and we're sharing resources like the Net New and Cross Sell Planner for setting goals you can find on our website at revenuegrowthengine.net and just click on the free tools. So yeah, this has been a, a great conversation, Joel. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for all that you're doing. It's, it's fantastic. Well, listen, man, thank you very much. And thanks for sharing the inside track on how to generate revenue. And uh, I, I love the idea, listen, the multiplier effect of new, new money and uh, deep sell money and you know, go deep stuff. So uh, thanks very much. And I look forward you got to staying it, man. in touch. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. 
For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000. And download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.